this is Attentive Talks, and we are a, um, a project of Attentive Teaching. And we are very interested in having a number of discussions. We've had many Zooms uh, about current issues facing educators today, as well as creating more trauma-informed classrooms. That's one of our goals as well. So we wanted to uh, first start with perhaps you could give us a little background on yourself and what brought you into education. So of course, we've all done some research, but it's always nice to hear, uh, have the primary source. And uh, tell us a little about yourself and how you came to education. What inspired you? What's, what's your background like in that regard? Well, once again, thank you. Um, so I am actually, and as I tell the story, I'm thinking I should probably add that to my bio, but I'm a fourth generation teacher. And so um, it, teaching is in my blood. It's who we are as a family. Um, I have a, my great grandmother, um, paternal, was a teacher. Um, and then my grandmother and my grandfather, my grandmother was a dean at Morris Brown College, HBCU in Atlanta. My grandfather was a principal in, um, in Florida, Central Florida. And then my mother and four of her sisters were all teachers. And so um, education is just kind of who we are. I also have um, a son who is in his third year of teaching. Um, so it's just, he's a fifth generation. So it's who we are. Um, but I came really into teaching, not necessarily with the thought of being a teacher. I think teaching is the vehicle in which we kind of outlive out our ministries. Um, I am a person who is all about building community. Um, as um, um, a kid growing up in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City Public Schools um, in the 70s when I started school, which sounds so crazy to say out loud, <laughs> in the 70s, um, um, we were bused. Uh, brown children were bused from their neighborhood schools. So as a result, in my 12 years of schooling in Oklahoma City Public Schools, I went to eight different schools and my parents have never moved. And so when I tell that story, it sounds like I'm an army brat or something, and I'm not. I am just a, a, a child who happened to grow up in um, the DSEG era. In that DSEG era, what the, the wisdom at the time was, we'll just take brown kids and take them out of their neighborhoods and put them somewhere else. Well, what happened as a result of that is um, in the maps, when you look at and you have conversation with people that also grew up in that time, they never took a whole neighborhood and sent a whole neighborhood anywhere. They took streets out of a neighborhood. And so they basically dismantled the community and sent us to a bunch of different places. And so it wasn't until I got to middle school where I started to realize that I liked going to school with the same kids every year and getting to know people, right? And I'd never had that. I'd never even gone to school with the kids that lived right directly across the street from me. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of, if you will, the, oh, this is what this is like. And so when I thought later in life, um, uh, kind of towards my junior, senior year, and I'm starting to think about what I want to do, my parents, of course, who come from families of teachers are like, you should not teach. You're way too smart to be a teacher. And literally, I ended up making a promise. I promise I won't say a teacher. I, I believe I want to be a principal and I want to build a community. And it was because I had a principal who really, I never really understood why she did some of the things that she did. Um, but I remember showing up my like junior year and my principal had on my basketball jersey. And I was like, whoa, the principal is me today. And this was an older white woman. She just, she understood culturally responsive teaching before culturally responsive teaching was a thing, right? And so she immediately connected. There was nothing that you could tell me about this woman because she wore my basketball jersey, you know, and she knew it was mine. Like she knew she was wearing my number. Um, and so that was probably the beginning of, you know what, I, I want kids to feel like they belong somewhere. And so that's kind of how I went. So I only taught for four years. I taught a different grade every year just because I wanted the most experience I could get. And then I went into administration, yada, yada, yada. 27 years later, I'm entering my 10th year as superintendent, um, about 1,200 kids in my district. And I'm the mayor of Millwood. I built a community here. <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. And so it's kind of the condensed version of how I ended up here. Oh, I love, I love your story. <laughs> Thank you. Thank story. you. It's so moving. It's so beautiful. Um, 
it's it makes you proud to be an educator. I, I again, I'm, I'm I'm just so thrilled. We're all so thrilled to hear the story. Um, I'm going to throw this over to uh, Jacob uh, now, um, one of our team members on our staff, and uh, we'll get uh, to our our topic of the day this way. That's right. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, Jake. Yeah. So hi, um, so it's a pleasure. Your your uh, story really. Um, hits home and I think is really relevant to what we're talking about today, especially you bringing up the desegregation era. I think it's very, very relevant. Um, if um, Just to like dive into it head first, we're, we're here because we're talking about HB 1775. I think you're very familiar about your rolling your eyes. It's been a nightmare <laughs> for you. Um, read the law. It's, you know, I, I would encourage everybody to, if they ever hear about a news story, uh, or they read something in the newspaper, it takes about two Google searches to find out a law and to read the, the you know, six-page document. Um, a lot of these laws that are, that are rolling in are using a lot of neutral language to get what they want through, whether that's, um, well, well, we were talking uh, before you joined us, Cecilia, about uh, how a it's basically legalizing witch hunts on teachers and um, it's essentially uh, allowing any parent that's in the community to file a formal complaint against specific teachers uh, if they have a problem with the curriculum. And um, if the uh, school does not protect that teacher, uh, that teacher is, uh, loses their cre credits and they're, they're out. And then if the, t if the school does protect the teacher, which we've seen in uh, two cases so far, they can be threatened with losing their being accredited as a, a institution. I, why I think that your story about desegregation is so relevant is because there, uh, this is part of a larger project to privatize education and to create charter schools that effectively resegregate America. And so uh, if you could just speak more as to on the ground what it looks like when you saw uh, this law like come into effect, what you saw in your community, if you had any parents try to, you know, uh, take action for lack of a better term and what they might've been upset about, that, you know, it would be really great to hear from you. So one of the things that um, I definitely have the greatest amount of concern with is this kind of notion of schools resegregating, right? Schools are um, outcomes of society, of community. Schools are segregated already just by virtue of redlining in cities, right? Um, just by virtue of um, um, attendant zones and things like that about, you know, we think about the gerrymandering that has happened with um, voter registration and things of that nature. Um, schools have, have basically been populated because these are, these are places that only people of color could live. Um, I think about right now, Oklahoma City, um, if you live on the South side in certain areas on the Southwest side, you are Hispanic. That is where Hispanic families move. They want to live there together. Um, that's not a bad thing, right? If you choose it. Um, if you live in the middle of the city over off of Klassen, um, that's the Asian district. Lots of schools are populated by Asian people. That's where their stores are located. That's where they go to live. If you are on the east side, you are on the black side of town. That's what our schools look like. And so that, that, is, that is by virtue of one choice where people live, two, where people had to live historically, right? And then also where the resources for whatever your culture desires are generally located in those areas. So resegregation, if you will, isn't a horrible thing if it's by choice, right? Because what I do in my community on the east side of Oklahoma City, um, and I service 97% black children, what I do to celebrate these children may not be the same that they get up north where it's primarily white. And that's okay for a parent to choose to put their child there, right? Or to choose to move to this side of town. Um, I think it's when it's forced that we have an issue, right? So I, I feel like the dismantling of public schools 
is the second iteration, the second generation of white flight. And now we don't want to just take our kids out. We want you to pay for it. We want to take our money with us. And so that's really what I think it really is. It's, 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 so I don't, I don't want to talk about segregation like it's a bad thing because all of us back to communities look for communities that affirm us, that we can be ourselves, that we can, can flourish in. All of us want that. Um, I had a conversation with somebody about LGBTQ+. And they're like, why do we have all these pluses and acronyms? And every other year, it's something else. And I said, because everybody wants to belong to something, right? So they want to find out that somebody out there feels the way that I feel. And this is what we call that. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing. So when I think about House Bill 1775, um, and, and, and you probably have Googled me about this, I literally called my own press conference, like literally. <laughs> <laughs> because they asked the state superintendent and she didn't feel like she could comment on it. I was like, I can comment on it. Um, it was not yet a law, um, but as the only, at the time, there were only, there was only one other black superintendent in the state out of 520 of us. Um, now there are four of us ooh, moving up in the world. I still am the only black woman, um, but, but I am compelled to speak out because this is the community that I represent. And I know that there are not a lot of other people who answer to boards that would allow for them to speak on this issue because nobody wants to be on the affirmative on this, right? No one wants to say, I wanna teach CRT because that's not really what I'm asking for. <laughs> it's not what I'm asking for because it's not a real thing, right? It's not something that I would ever, but what I am advocating for is there is sensitive information that has been taught in classrooms for years and we've never had a law against it. Um, I don't know that I've ever worked in a, in a year that I can recall. There was one time when I, well, a couple of years I worked in Kansas City, I wasn't as close to schools, but I'm sure it happened. Every year, some teacher gets asked about Jesus. Every year, no matter what you do. You just get asked about Jesus. There are kids in your classroom who don't know who Jesus is, good, bad, different, whatever. And teachers have been handling it for years and we can't teach religion, right? But so, so if a kid, if a, if a Jewish kid comes home and says, my teacher told me about Jesus, right? Then parents deal with that situation and say, hey, this is what we teach our kid, you know, whatever. That is how we've dealt with it for years. And so all of a sudden, there's this conversation because we have these, um, we're, we're more educated, right? It's back to, we have all these terms because everybody's trying to figure out, well, what does this mean? So now we're under this anti-racist umbrella, right? And so when we have these terms and you look at that and you say, hold up, no one's gonna say, I wanna be racist, but they're gonna say, but you can't make me feel bad, right? You can't make me feel bad because I don't agree with this anti-racist viewpoint. So I feel like these laws are being erected literally to make people feel better in class or, or, or give them the opportunity to not feel bad. But my concern about that is, is we are talking about people who have the opportunity to go home and tell a parent how they feel or don't want to feel in class. And we're forgetting about all the kids and the families who have dealt with this for years. I mean, my, my own personal children have sat through To Kill a Mockingbird and Huckleberry Finn and had the N-words spewed around, um, you know, for years, right? And so we, I'm sorry, we don't read Huckleberry Finn here, but <laughs> it has happened. Um, but, and, and we have dealt with that as educators, right? We have tried to figure out how to, if this is, supposedly something that is so important. How do we make sure we scaffold this so that we honor the people that are present in the classroom, right? We're teachers, that's our craft. We know things are gonna make people uncomfortable. We've been doing that for years, but we are more concerned now about the people who can go home and tell a parent and less concerned about the children who need schools to affirm them, who need schools to give them to demonstrate agency and identity, who need schools to give them mental health services, who need schools to feed them. Those are the people we're not talking about while we're talking about House Bill 1775. So I hope I answered your question. I know I went around. <laughs> no, absolutely. You really okay. did. I mean, okay. I, it's 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 great to hear that like, yeah, no, it, it, it I mean, 
I, I totally agree with you. I think everybody here agrees with you when you talk about how the these institutions, our, our schools are much more than just one student going back home and, and complain to a parent, you know? Um, what, what's, what's scary is that like, what we have now, like, uh, personally for me, I live on, uh, I used to live on Long Island that, you know, it might be a blue state or whatever, but it's just as segregated as all the rest of them. Um, if not, they invented so much of it on Long Island, you know? Um, and so where, where, uh, I I'm concerned about in terms of, I, I miss described what, what in terms of resegregation, it just seems like the phenomena where you don't go to the school with the person that lives on your street anymore is what we're looking at when we see the dismantling of these schools. So like, yeah, schools are, are, are absolutely segregated right now because of redlining. I would suggest a, a great book, Home Wreckers, that talks a, a, a lot about uh, racial redlining and things like that. And even after they got redlining, there was de facto laws to, or de facto attitudes within the real estate community where they just wouldn't sell to certain people right. um, based off their race or creed or something like that and so now with the dis where we've legalized with hb 1775 we've uh, or, or i shouldn't say we've but th that state is now legalized the ability for you know those token parents to uh, for lack of a better term do something from what you're talking about you seem to feel because of the nature of your community this isn't something that you have to particularly worry about because you're on the same page as your community as a community builder and i think that it, it, i think uh principals, superintendents that are in touch with their community will have the skills and tools necessary to diffuse issues that, you know, come in into the play of where, uh, you know, this is a, uh, maybe if you're a principal or superintendent that's not as in touch with your community, uh, an upset parent will file the necessary paperwork to like have something like this law be enacted and, and enforced. Well, I'll um, tell you, I don't want to send the message that, you know, black people are a monolith, right? Like we, we obviously are very diverse people, um, but in the presentation of information, I think it's important to say, if a teacher comes to class and says, all right, little white oppressors over here and little black oppressed, oppressed over here, that's a bad teacher. Right, that's a bad behavior. None of us would advocate for that, right? Um, none of us would advocate for saying, now I have led conversations where I have said, America is inherently racist because of just the way we were constructed. Black people were currency. So, so if you've never reckoned with that, the whole notion that it's over is, is just a lie. It's just, we moved on, but it's not over. And so I have said that, but in saying that America is racist, I'm in it, right? When I came to Millwood, one of the things that I just cringed about, we had these signs that said, no bagging, no sagging, no hoodies. I'm like, who are we talking to? <laughs> wait, 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 what is this about? Like, what is, we have adopted someone else's version of who our children are. Like we've, we've got to step back and say, do we really believe that hoodies are violent? Like for real? Like <laughs> what is, so we literally, I had to work with my staff to unpack. Why have we adopted these, these things and these beliefs about our own children? They're, they're our kids. And, and I say this in the sense that my two boys graduated from here. Um, and then I have six great nieces and nephews here. So I'm like, these are our kids. Why are we believing what someone else is telling us about them? So I, I, I think we've, we, we're all guilty of it if we don't work hard to do something different. So. No, you're absolutely right. You have to like actually be involved. And I think that's the message that we're like trying to come to with this podcast is that like, getting involved in your local in your local community is how you actually like create a positive alternative to what like a lot of these more terrifying laws look like right um yeah yeah um uh so i mean from what you you really seem like you're not you're not worried at all about um like a lot of the the, the charter school creep that like we seem to be having because like uh, from what I understand, there's you know, there's like these school voucher programs that allow parents to like pool their ki kids from different schools and 
there, uh, there's recent news that two Oklahoma County's public schools have lost accreditation already um, in terms of being able to be to get like taxpayer funding and stuff like that. And so they didn't lose accreditation. They have been graded down on accreditation. They haven't lost oh. accreditation. Now, it, it oh. was it was severe, but it wasn't a, a losing of accreditation. That's not it. Um, but it was a it was a definitely a shot across the bow to the rest of us. Like we are not playing, um, which is concerning. But it was it was just a lowering. It was a lowering of two levels, if you will. Um, sure. Of, I saw that is it's a three year period. Is that true? Where yes. It, 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 yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it is it is unnerving because one of them happened before the law was even there were even rules on the law, the one in Tulsa public schools. And then the other one was self-reported like they told on themselves. Nobody would have even known, but they told on themselves. So it's it's crazy. It, it really is crazy. But it, it 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 has the potential to get much crazier because we're in a really tight state um, state superintendent race and one of the people who's running for state superintendent is a, a huge advocate for House Bill 1775. Like most of his material is ban critical race theory. Um, and the odd thing is, is he was a US history teacher. That's a whole <laughs> so. Yeah, I, well, I think you've done a great job at like pointing out that they're, the, a lot of the bill is just trying to pigeonhole people into something that is just not happening. Um, like that, like that bad teacher example, I think is what we really need to emphasize is not occurring in any classroom for the, the large part, I would say vast majority is just not happening. And yeah, I, I, I think that this fear that people have needs to just wind down a bit and they need to get more active and not allow a lot of these fearful teachers. And, and the other part of that is, is it is very one-sided, right? I, 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 there have been many cases documented in the state of Oklahoma where kids have been in classrooms and the N-word is being used by the teacher, generally in some type of lesson. Um, and the kids have said, please don't use that word that is offensive to me, da, 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 da. And so I'm waiting for that case to come forward and see how we treat that, right? So... Yeah, thanks so much. I'd love to pass it. <laughs> yeah, Karen, you had uh, something that you uh, wanted to ask as well. Cordelia yeah, raised her hand. Okay, after that. Oh, okay. Cordelia, I'm sorry. Do you want me to go first or Cordelia? Go ahead, Karen. Okay, so we, you know, when we first um, learned about you and, and what you're doing, we thought it was completely admirable. And from being in New York, we kind of, and especially in New York City and, you know, the counties closest to it, we kind of kind of have this attitude of I'm going to close my door and do whatever I'm going to do. So we don't, you know, like this is not a big concern for us right now. We don't worry about it. What do you want people outside of Oklahoma to know about, you know, how you're doing this, what we should be doing, how we should address this issue, you know? Right. Well, that and, that, yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that question. What I also meant to say is, um, I, I don't know if it's on my bio again, but I am a blue ribbon principal for a charter school in Hartford, Connecticut. So I am a former charter school principal. Um, I think I won it in 2004. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty bad. I should know more than that, but I should. <laughs> but it is a Hartford Magnet Middle School is, is the school that I ran, which was at the time the highest performing middle school in Hartford. Um, and so we pulled the kids. It was a DSEG oddly enough. <laughs> and we got 50% of our kids from Hartford and then like 23 surrounding zip codes we pulled from those for the rest of it. And it was about 700 kids. So um, that was interesting. That was a very interesting time because the teachers were concerned about getting so many kids from Hartford where they worked in. So that was something. Um, but in regards to um, other states around the nation. I think the biggest concern has to be is if, school, if schools is not the place where children learn to have conversations about differences, where are they going to have them? So generally when my colleagues ask me to come into their staff meetings, because maybe it, it generally happens because they're getting an influx of brown children 
a, a, a plant opened and so they're going to get a lot of Hispanic workers so they're not really sure how to deal with that or a housing addition opens or apartments and they're like oh these are this level of apartment we're going to get kids that are different from so can you come and have a conversation with my staff about what to expect what I generally ask them to do is just take stock of where you spend your time personally right do you go to church with people that all look and think like you do you go to your social events with all people that look and think like, and we're all guilty of it, right? Back to community, comfort, whatever. So one of the best ways for you to start trying to figure out um, how to accept some of the things that are going to come into your, your, your classroom, because, you know, teachers, our classroom is our temple, right? Don't, don't, you know, if we could tell our kids to take their shoes, don't take, take your shoes off, don't step on my carpet, right? <laughs> because you own it, um, which is what you should do. And I think one of the things as adults we have to do is to get out of our comfort, right? Um, and that doesn't even mean necessarily talking to somebody else or having them in your home. You can go to the Asian market and just see how they're shopping. It's just different, just going in an Asian market, right? Going to the other side of town, make it an extra effort to shop someplace different, just so that you are surrounded by people that are different from you. You hear a different language, you see a different custom, whatever. Um, making that uncomfortable move for yourself will open you to having, to, to knowing how these children that are coming into your classroom feel. Because if you've never felt that, it's not a priority to you, right? So, because you never have to. And when you are in the minority, it is so easy. Like for, for brown people in Oklahoma City on this side of town, we have to go to a different side of town because we, we're in a food desert. We don't have grocery stores over here. So we have to go somewhere else to shop. That's just what it is. And so we have to, we are, but, but there are very few white communities that have to go anywhere else for anything. So back to teachers and people that just want to shut their doors and you're in other states is, what is happening in Oklahoma has a real possibility of taking hold somewhere else because there are more and more people who don't go outside the comforts of their own neighborhood, their own homes, their own whatevers. And so when that when these conversations happen in class for teachers, the, the reporter in um, Tulsa Public Schools, how they got to the state board was a teacher. That's who told. <laughs> Can you imagine? The teacher did not want to have a conversation about biases that they may have come into the building with. And bias has nothing to do with um, necessarily your um, race, color, or creed. It has to do with like your, your, your economic status, with the side of town you live on, the region. When I moved from Oklahoma to Hartford, Connecticut, oh my goodness, everybody was brown, but nobody was black. And good luck finding a Native American in Hartford, Connecticut, right? I mean, so I had never been surrounded with so many people from the Caribbean, like all this new food. It's great. Now, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I'm just saying, so I had to, the Spanish was different. The Spanish that I learned in Oklahoma was not the Spanish they were speaking <laughs> in, in Hartford, Connecticut, you know? And so I had to figure out how to adapt and learn from the people whose space I was invading. I mean, I moved to where they were. And so that's what I'd say for, for states is if, if you don't think it can happen to you, it, it likely can. And as teachers, um, I think it is our responsibility. We are building tomorrow, right? We're building tomorrow's citizens. What are we teaching them if we don't tell them that the world is different? I think you're so right. And you. when you were talking about that, it made me feel uncomfortable for a moment. For a moment, I got this twinge inside my body thinking like there's, when you said there's, you know, um, you know, the black community has to go into the white community to get stuff because like the white community never has to worry about finding anything. I was just like, ugh, you know, just that feeling of going like, all right, that made me feel bad. <laughs> no, but in a good way. Do you know right, what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. Which is very important, I think, for that's what's so important for children to understand and to learn, like you're saying, the differences between people so that we can get along and understand and make changes, right? How are these kids going to learn to make change? How is anything? I mean, it's just going to get so much worse. Like I can't even, like worse than ever if this continues because 
people are just not, they're not going to be able to move, you know, fluidly through different communities and through different people. Like you're saying, it's like, that is the scariest thing, what you just said to me, what you just said to us. So the polarization of both political parties is extreme right now, right? It's all the way over here, all the way over here. That is because both sides are protecting their way of lives, right? Like this is what I know and what I understand. And we are slowly losing that middle. And we're losing that middle because the people that we're training to, 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 to grow up and be citizens are all one-sided. Like they're either this or they're either that. And there has to be a middle. There's no way as a country we can survive if, if we don't have that middle. And I was able to give you a lesson on privilege without ever calling it privilege. Because privilege is a theory, right? It lives up here, right? It's like going into a classroom and saying, today I'm gonna use constructivism to teach you how to play. <laughs> Nobody does that, <laughs> right? Today I'm gonna use critical race theory to show you how it's important to know how your neighbor lives. Never would do that. Nobody would ever do that. So, but maybe, I don't know, now this, I, I do have a little more experience. So he has this think I think it's really interesting and important. You've talked about the importance of community, but you're also talking about the importance of diversity in American culture and being able to move. How do we, how do we get those two things together? Because when you told the story of how it felt to be taken out of your neighborhood, your community into a school, which was supposed to be a way of fixing things in America, you know, and, and how it really was quite destructive. I mean, how do, how do we use education and schools? How do we combine those two things? How do we allow kids to go to schools in their communities and people assuming they want to live in those communities where they share cultural traditions and foods and all kinds of things, family? and yet still be able to be one people. So I, I wanna be clear when I'd say that I, our, um, my, my definition of community is, is, is lots of different things, right? It's not one thing. It's not just a fixed place or a fixed situation, right? Community is something you can feel. So um, I, I will take, honestly, the, the one of the candidates for state superintendent used to actually be the US, AP US history teacher here. He is now supporting House Bill 1775, even though he taught in an all black high school. He will tell you stories about how wonderful my community was to him, about how when he came in, he felt welcomed, he felt affirmed, he felt a part of it. He will tell you more than any high school he's ever worked in, any high school he's ever been in. And so being around people that have common um, backgrounds and, and common maybe um, ideology about the world doesn't necessarily mean that we all look the same, if you will. Um, it just means that if you are affirmed in who you are and, and um, you are free to be who you are, then that spills out into others, right? So you can have diversity in an undiverse community and you can have a community in a diverse community. So people that come into Millwood, all of them tell me the same thing. I felt so welcomed because my children are themselves. They are literally themselves. They and 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 people feel that there is no pretension about who they are. They don't have to hide who they are. They fit in here. Um, and people will have asked me, "Do you have white kids?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I do." And they're like, and they're fine. And I'm like, well, you know, that's the anomaly, right? Like usually it's the other way around. <laughs> usually, in fact, almost 90% of the time, it is very few black students and all white students or, or brown kids or, you know, um, somebody non-white is usually the minority everywhere. It just so happens here. But my, my students who are white, even their families, they're just like, we would never take our kid anywhere else because we love it here. We love how our kids feel when they're here. So if, if you are in a community and it's a true community, you are affirmed in who you are and it doesn't matter how, how it doesn't matter where you are. We take our community. I wrote an article for um, the National High School Association, I think. And I talked about how using sports and activities to spread your community everywhere you go 
when I don't bring my cheerleaders, people are so mad at us because my cheerleaders set the tone everywhere they go. Like, I'm like, I brought the basketball teams and they're playing for the championship. No one cares because the culture is set with my, with my cheerleaders. And so I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think you can be diverse and you can have community without necessarily having to, to be physically in one space, right? It's a feeling, if that makes sense. Okay. I can't jump in there. Cordelia, you were going to say something before. You're going to ask. I, I was thinking that, um, so you've answered, you actually answered part of what I was thinking was about the community because earlier we were talking about the fact that, you know, if you don't build a community as a superintendent, as, you know, I don't even, board of education, if you don't build a community where people respect each other, it's easy to use these laws to attack. But if you understood, and, and that's where I think a lot of communities aren't there yet, especially very diverse communities or communities like you just mentioned, where there is a um, a dominant, <laughs> a dominant, uh, you know, community of maybe whites, and then there's a sprinkling of everything else, when th those conversations come up, and there's only maybe two brown students in the room, and a teacher does say, you know, something that is truth, <laughs> that really is truth, that there seems to be an out, out, uh, some parents, and it's minority, Carol, we said that it's not a lot of the parents, but there is a loud outcry from some parents that then we're not seeing the same pushback from the rest of the community who doesn't feel that way. They really don't. They they agree with the teacher, agree with the school in, in ability to teach this true information, but we don't, we're not seeing the same support. And I'm not sure why that is or why the silence happens. And how do you think we can just kind of I don't know, build that community where somebody pushes back against the loud people. So I, I like I said, they, they kind of have this uh, people between a rock and a hard place, right? Like who wants to come out and say, I want to teach critical race theory. You know what I'm saying? Cause that's what it sounds like. Right. And so, so we're, we're at, they've made it hard to fight. And so that's why I use the term bad teaching, right? It's just bad teaching. It's just bad teaching. People, people, we, I, I, people don't want to hear it, but teachers are people too. They're not angels. They lie. They steal. They cheat. They, <laughs> they're lazy. Um, but they're also great, right? And so they, they, we are just like any other human. If not, I wouldn't have to fire people or go to court or you know, it 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 happens. And so I think we have to call that what it is. That's bad teaching. That's not necessarily an ideology or whatever. That person is wrong. There should never be a situation where a teacher is calling a kid racist. Like that That just should not happen in, in anybody's classroom or anybody's schools. And so when a person says that, you have to make it about the behavior of the teacher and not the topics, right? And not, 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 because here's the thing, there are bad math teachers who are teaching kids horrible. <laughs> horrible and we can call that bad right why can't we call this bad right but we fire bad teachers all the time and so i think i think the pushback is is how you address that is let's talk about the the, the pedagogy the instruction that the teacher is bringing to that classroom it's wrong and the other part is just like in any other job um some people's styles or, and how they approach things in one place is not the way you'd have to approach it someplace else. I've worked in a couple of places where um, I would not be able to be this vocal and talk to people nationally about something I didn't agree with because it didn't fit in that culture. You know, it, so, so that, that can happen in schools. And I think what happens is when, you know, we, we, I'm sure we hear, we say this all the time. Everybody went to schools. So everybody knows how schools work, right? <laughs> and so everybody, when something like this happens, they remember the worst experience they had with a teacher and they assign this behavior to that teacher because we have yeah. all had a bad behaving adult around us, over us, near us or whatever. And that's what they, that, that's what they're fighting back against. Right. But I think we have, um, the ability as leaders, or you should be having leaders that have the ability to, because to, if I had a teacher that was teaching Jesus, I'd have a problem. I'm not supposed to in, in Christian America, but I would. You know, um, when I came here, my football coach prays with the football team. I was like, somebody's going to get us. 
Well, culturally, <laughs> in my community, people don't mind. And, and if somebody came and said to me, and I told him, if somebody comes and says something, we're going to have to stop. And he's like, it's your son leading the prayer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, you know, he, 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 my son has been, uh, had a calling since he was 13. And every team he played on, he always prayed. And he does now preach on the radio. He is a preacher. He's a teacher and a preacher. Um, and so that was who it was. And he asked the coach, can I pray for the team? And he let him pray. And that's what they do. So, um, but culturally here, we could do it. The school we came from before we got to Millwood, I don't know that they would have let him do that. I don't, I don't think so. So, okay. Um, what's his name? Is it? Nakia. Yeah. I was like, yeah. had your hand up for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, hi, Cecilia. Nice to meet hi. you. Nice to meet um, you. I think one of the things that it is that we've had a conversation about many a times is just the, the, acronym, the CRT with critical race theory. Um, and for me, the simple fact of the matter is, is that critical race theory is not even being taught in schools. Every single thing that it is that we're talking about is culturally responsive learning. That's what, that's what this is. And so I think that there is a piece here where there is a, because we are dealing with this situation almost kind of like in a reactionary standpoint due to a lack of activism, because we haven't been able to get out in front of that. You made the comment of um, when you came into your schools and it says, you know, no bagging, no sagging, something like that, and made the comment of why are we letting other people define who it is that our kids are? With education, why are we allowing? you know, as education, educators in an educational community, why are we allowing people to tell us what it is that these things actually are? Teachers aren't in classes, in classrooms examining the, the, the racial constructs and the institutional racism that exists within America. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about are factual events about the history and the fact that our history includes more than just one race of people that have made contributions. And that there are some things that happen that were perpetuated by a particular race of people, but that is part of our history. And that's supposed to be something that it is that we use to move forward because it's a tenet of democracy, right? So as we're going through all of these things and I'm, and I'm, and I'm sitting here and I'm listening to some of what it is that we've spoken to in the past, I think what's, what's really important here is that sense of community and what Cordelia is saying and what it is and part of what Karen was saying too, how it is that we like to close our doors and kind of like do our thing. I think it has to be more of us getting to a point where it is that we stand up as a community and say that, you know, this is, this is not about, everyone has been in a situation in a classroom where they felt bad. I remember when, I remember me moving from the Bronx where it is that my family, you know, grew up and then coming to school in Long Island for my 11th and 12th grade and, and, and high school. So I went from the South Bronx to Comac High School. Um, for anybody who's on Long Island, you can kind of see what that, you can only imagine what that must have been like. And I remember, I remember saying to myself, I remember in my social studies class, when I knew slavery was coming, I knew it. <laughs> you, you did the countdown, it's coming. Oh, and I was Lord. sitting there in the, I was sitting in there in the chair and I was looking down in my book and I said, please don't ask me this question. Don't ask me what it is that I think about slavery. And it's almost one of those moments where it is that, you know, we all do this and, you know, not because of any malintent. And we say to somebody when someone passes away, you know, oh, how are you doing to kind of do a check-in? Well, how do you think I'm doing? I just lost somebody who is, you know, who, you know, uh, lost a loved one. And so you go back to that same kind of feeling of where it is that it's like, you know, we are now getting to this point where it is that, you can't tell the truth without someone feeling bad. But my question to you is why, what, what do you feel bad? And how are we mistaking feeling bad with sympathy and empathy? And why are, right. we, doing, why are we trying to protect people from those emotions and feelings? Because that's how it is that we grow as a community as a whole. So I, 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 it, it's, it's really mind boggling how it is that we all have politicians who many of them are creating you know, these laws and bills over something that doesn't even exist that's happening in schools. When all it is that we're trying to, you know, make sure that we understand and teach our kids in the one institution where we can do that. And it's supposed to be about learning for not just kids, but learning for adults. So for me, the, the thought of, 
a teacher not being able to teach different kids, I'm sorry, but that's part of what it is that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to learn as an adult. When a kid comes into your room and they're different than what it is that you have experienced in the past, that is an opportunity for you as an educator to learn because we are forever learners and we're supposed to be. So this, this whole thing is, is, is problematic for me, but it still comes back to the same thing. I, you know, we have to be able to speak louder and not have, you know, that, that minority, that loud minority, which is a microcosm of what it is that we're dealing with in the, in our, you know, in our nation and in America as it is, that loud minority to tell us what it is, making these decisions about what it is that we should be doing. And that, and that goes, and that holds true for our community as well. We have to be able to stand up to those people and say, this is not about your kid feeling bad. Your child is developing empathy. We're not saying that your child is an oppressor, but we are letting them know that these people didn't choose to be slaves. <laughs> the, I will, I will, I'm gonna give you a short answer. I'm gonna give you a long answer, but I'm gonna give you a short response to the first why. Black lives matter. That's why. That is why this is happening. Yeah. Because this group came out and said, Black Lives Matter. They didn't say above anybody else. They didn't say more than. All they said was Black Lives Matter. And then from there, people start to take hold to what is white fragility? What is this? What is anti-racist? And so all of these things that, that have been there, right? Like critical race theory, it's been there for 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. Culturally responsive teaching has been a thing since 95. So like literally these have been things that have been conversations, um, theories within the education world, right? And within the academic world, this is nothing new to those of us who have taken two courses in the last 20 years, nothing new. It wasn't mainstream, right? right? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't something that every teacher potentially had to worry about. And so teachers, we're not necessarily activists, right? We're not people who necessarily band together. Now I will tell you in the state of Oklahoma, it has happened that a bunch of teachers, like 40% of the teachers I think was the estimation changed their political party to Republican to vote out a state superintendent who was horrendous. That was right when I came into this role like 10 years ago. Like we band together to get rid of her because she was horrible. Um, and the only way we were gonna beat her was in the Republican primary because in Oklahoma, Republicans are where everybody is. If you're a Democrat, it's gonna have to take a whole lot of, lot of, lot of for you to win something in Oklahoma. And so that has happened, But 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 nationally, we have national organizations that advocate on behalf of us. So who fights this if it's not teachers? It can't be Black Lives Matter, right? It can't be the NAACP. It can't be you know any other Black organization because it looks like you're just trying to push the Black agenda onto public schools. And so exactly what you're saying is we're just teaching history here. But when we have schools that are assigning you know, Kendi's work, like some of people's summer reading is how to be an anti-racist. Like I sat on a panel with a guy from Fordham Institute and he says, my son's high school reading was how to be a anti-racist. I said, well, did you open the book? Cause it gives you a choice. It defines racist and anti-racist. It defines segregationist and anti-segregationist. You don't have to be anti-racist. It just tells you what your ideology, you know, it just, it just brings it together for you. It's not telling you, you have to do this. You're just saying, if you don't do this, this is who you are. And you don't like who you are, so now you're mad about your son reading it. But it gives you a choice, you know. So, <laughs> but but so since this was born out of a movement for Black Lives Matter, and then remember too, the other part of this is when this this took off um, during COVID, when we were in the people's homes, right? Mm -hmm. So when teachers are having conversations with kids about stuff they would have been having conversations with kids about forever, all of a sudden somebody's mama hears it. It's like, hold up, y'all been talking about black stuff at school? Literally, that that all of that, and then George Floyd, and it just, all of that was like a perfect storm. And it armed people with information that 
they didn't even care enough to know before. It wasn't a secret. It's never been a secret. It's just they didn't care to know before. COVID made everybody aware because we were in their houses. And so the unfortunate part is, I don't know that there is um, political leadership large enough. You know, I sit on the, um, um, like one of the advisory boards with Kimberly, with Dr. Crenshaw. Um, I, I, I participate in the Education Writers Association to try to inform, like, but there's just not one arm big enough to fight this, it sucks. But it, it is going to be, and, and I'll tell you this, how many teachers do you think support this? Mm -hmm. Right, it's not zero. There's quite a few teachers who think this way. Because back to, remember, teachers, they, they look like society. Yeah. <laughs> so they may not tell you out loud, right? Because nobody's going to come out and be like, I mean, there's a few people that's going to come be, you know, come out and say, you know, I don't believe in Black Lives Matter. We still had people in Oklahoma dressing up as Trump and a wall in Oklahoma, like literally for Halloween. Somebody was Trump and somebody was a wall in places with Hispanic kids. So there are teachers who literally firmly believe um, that the teaching of certain concepts, you can say it happened, right? And, and it's, it's the difference between like um, rote learning, right? And, and active learning. You're just supposed to say slavery happened. You're not supposed to get into it. <laughs> we can recognize it, but none of that, all that flies in the face of AP, you know, AP history and um, AP history exams, because all of those, you have to make comparisons. They don't even give you the topics. They just said in this amount of time, make this comparison about this and you got to write to it. So they definitely don't understand, you know, essentially what it is they're asking for. They just know they don't like it. And like I said, it, it's, it's the difference between legislating for somebody's like and somebody's life. Like there are kids whose life could depend on this affirmation or their life could depend on informing someone in class that the way that this has happened hasn't been historically affirming to other people. If a white kid doesn't know that and all of a sudden they know that, that could change their whole disposition about how they approach life and how they approach people. Maybe that's what they're guarding against. But what you're saying makes sense, which none of this does, <laughs> right? It doesn't make sense. I, I hope that answered, did that help? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't know the guarding against it. I think what you're talking about, you you touch on a couple of things that I, I think it's like, um it's quite simple. And my, the way that I see it sometimes, I don't know, and I get a little, kind of uh, crazy about this, but I think it's like the Black Lives Movement, um, it was like put on a platter, silver platter and handed to the conservative right to be able to jump on this. And this is an outcome of that, okay? Because now as you can start to get people like what you were saying, questioning like, what do you mean? Like all of a sudden white people, but that's what it was, make America white again, right? That was one of the things that came out of you know, um, the Trump presidency. And, um, you know, this is, this is what it was, but it goes back even further to when Obama was, you know, was in, you know, was president, all right? And what that was necessary for in a lot of people's minds in order to push forward this white agenda, which is now coming forth in a, in a really big way and turning all of these things around to what they don't mean anymore. Because if you rile up if you rile up people, this is a great way to rile up people and get people to the polls, right? To say like, this is what's happening in the schools. So when you get the parents pissed off and they're all worried now, oh my God, my, my child's going to feel bad because, you know, uh, our, you know, in our, you know, back how many years we had, you know, we were slave owners or even if we weren't, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? They're just getting so riled up. It's all about the bottom line about who they're going to vote for. Okay who they're going to vote for, who we're going to put into office, what kind of what kind of country we're going to have. And you're right, we have to stand up. We have to open our mouths. We have to be louder. We have to be louder. We cannot tolerate this and, and stand for it any longer, in my opinion, in all areas. It's not just in, in school, but it's like what's happening in the schools, what's happening with the LGBT, you know, bleh, the LGBT community, you know, all of that. 
we have to be really proactive and, and be um, brave to open our mouth and stand up and say, no, uh-uh, this is not going to happen. Well, I, I will tell you, I have been surprised as to how many, how far um, they are going with the LGBTQ community. Cause I honestly had given them more credit for being stronger. Um, and maybe they are, you know, maybe there's an undercurrent and they're building up and coming back because I really did think they, if anybody stood the opportunity to stand up against this, it was that community because it affects so many people across racial lines and, and, and socioeconomic levels and things like that. And so I'm very hopeful um, for that, but it is really about standing up to people who um, think that anything different is wrong. And that's really where we are. But I, I'll tell you what I tell most people is that I really am hopeful um, this group of kids that we have, I said, you know, uh, there was a Republican group that quoted me as saying, the world is gonna be browner and gayer in the future. It is. Um, and that is because people are affirmed in who they are. They're becoming more affirmed in who they are and they're speaking up. And I said, these kids aren't waiting for a seat at the table. They are flipping the table over um, because this group of kids that we are raising right now, this Gen Zers, they, they have, literally the capacity and the ability to 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 just turn everything around like remember well i don't know if you in oklahoma they basically almost shut down the trump rally right like the tiktokers bought all the tickets they went in got all the tickets it was a whole bit of confusion of course he used the camera angles and things to act like you know he didn't he he had more than you know how he does but the the tiktokers shut it down so they are they are this generation of kids is definitely, definitely, definitely um, doing something amazing. So um, anyway. You know, it's funny, uh, Cecilia, that's what I was gonna ask you as uh, one of our um, last questions here today. Um, is how are the kids in, in, in your district responding to all of this? <laughs> how are they responding? <laughs> I'm really curious. I mean, and, and also I have to just say personally as a AP American history teacher myself, when you, when you, it just resonated completely. Uh, the, yeah. the, the idea that I can't have my, I mean, we compare, that's comparison essays and contrast and looking and critical thinking. I mean, that's what it's all about. Right. And uh, it's so imperative and I have great hope for our young people as well. Great yeah. hope. Yeah. I feel as you do, we all feel as you do. But so if we could kind of um, move into that direction because uh, we will uh, come to an end of our Zoom in, in a moment. What are your kids saying in your district about what's happening in terms of this anti-racism um, stuff and uh, book banning, et cetera? You know, that's another conversation of course, but it, but it, it hinges on all of this as well. Well, right. well, and my students are very empowered. And, and I think um, if you can imagine, you know, being in a place where literally I had my one of my senior class representatives send me a text message. Can you throw this on the website for me? We're doing, you know, that that's how my kids, you know, <laughs> talk to me. I work for them. Right. Um, and so they are empowered and they do understand the um, the need to kind of cross boundaries, if you will, right? They understand that. So like uh, you, for example, my cheerleaders, wherever my cheerleaders go, like really, they shut down everything. But they turn that and say, how do we help this group of kids learn from us, right? Because where they're from, they don't do this style of cheer. So they literally at halftime go in and teach the girls cheer so they can cheer with them. So they, they are um, more about being ambassadors for who they are and what they understand and what they believe and less about kind of the telling people that they're wrong. It's just like, we're just going to show them, right? We're just going to accept them. We're just going to be ourselves and we're just going to accept them. And so that's really what we try to teach our kids. And that's how we all want to be, right? We want to be accepting of others, um, understanding that everybody comes from, from someplace different. And like I said, even within um, an all brown community, all of us are different. Like all of our families are different. Understanding where they come from. Um, we had a state championship basketball team this year. And I tell people, one of the kids who was on the team literally got evicted from his home by his mother. 
like in the last two weeks. And when I tell people that they're like, oh my God, who would do that? And I'm like, that's just the life that some of these kids live. But the way that the team came together around him because of his situation is the very reason we want to stay championship because they were selfless, right? And, and so looking for lessons to, to support one another and to express who you are respectfully, I think is, is, is where my kids are. Um, I don't want to get off the line before I do this. You guys are going to crack up, but I kept trying to remember your name. Jacob, you look exactly like my nephew. <laughs> is that the craziest thing in the world? <laughs> oh my goodness. You see that? Look at that. That's a little scary though, Jacob. It really, I'm sitting here the whole time and yeah. I'm like, this Eli, you know? <laughs> So anyway, you, you, so I'm very comfortable with you because, you know, you look like somebody I know. <laughs> so anyway, well, any last minute. Any last questions? Last minute questions before we uh, let uh, Cecilia go on with her, her school year, which will be starting shortly. Oh, we're so grateful to you for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. And, uh, and you know, it, it's about resilience and it's about leadership. And, you know, we know as educators here, that it's about who's at the top and uh, you are a wonderful person to have at the top there. Thank you. About 90% of my people would say that. <laughs> I work for you in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, I tell you, leadership is always about knowing that in order to do the right thing, some people are not going to be happy. So absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much. We, right. uh, we, we, we loved it. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very school. much. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank nice you. to meet you all. Thank you.